You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Aging Starts Now. I'm Chris Johnson, partner and VA accredited attorney at Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law. Today, we are talking about the latest trends in senior housing and the newest technology innovations for seniors. Joining us for the discussion is Andy Carl. Mr. Carl serves as the adjunct faculty and lead instructor for courses with, uh, within the Senior Living Administration concentration at Georgetown University. He has more than 30 years of executive level senior housing and healthcare experience. Welcome, Andy. Welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So I think we need to jump right in. What are the big issues facing seniors today? I think we really need to set the table and know what, what, what are the issues they're facing? Well, probably the biggest issue is just how many of them there are. Um, you know, we've got 10,000 baby boomers a day turning 65 in this country. There's 76 million of them that were born. Um, so basically the population of a mid-sized city is turning 65 every day and and then that creates a couple of issues because they're retiring, but that means they're leaving the workforce. So it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, they've worked hard and they get to retire. On the other hand, it's really not clear who's going to take care of them and where they're going to live. Um, as more people leave the workforce, as, as the traditional family caregiver model um, is changing dynamically, in terms of the time that people have today when both men and women work, in terms of their proximity to their moms and dads, which is, you know, they've all moved farther away now than they have in previous generations. And just in terms of their energy, because, you know, we've got people living to be 100 years old now, which means their adult children are 75 or 80 and maybe don't have the energy to provide this care. So, you know, we've got a lot of stresses on the caregiver system on the family side. And then we've got all these people retiring and, and issues of having enough professional workers in the long-term care industry to, to be able to care for them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think you just put it, we're in a, a big state of flux here, a big transition. And, and so I think what happens is you start having to build the proverbial airplane while you're flying it. And I mean, the things that you've brought up, you know, uh, family caregiver model where the kids kind of took care of the parents. Well, now we all live further away. I, I was born and raised in Michigan. I, I lived in the same home for 18 years and now here I am in Tennessee and both my parents are still in Michigan. And like you said, uh, just due to advances in medicine, everything else, people are living longer. And so now your caregivers might need caregiving themselves. And so I think that lends uh, to what we look for is we always look for technology. Like, hey, there's we're going to solve a lot of these problems using technology. And, and I love this term that I learned from you, uh, Nana technology. And so tell us about Nana technology and how is this going to help solve some of these problems? 
Well, I mean, look, we we need to automate. Um, and, you know, I know we're a people business and senior care, and people think, well, wait a minute, you know, that's a hands-on people business. But we just don't mathematically have enough people. We don't have enough care family caregivers. We don't have enough long-term care workers. So, you know, eighty percent of the cars that everybody drives each day is is built by robots. You know, you said you're from Michigan, but I mean, Detroit figured out. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, there weren't enough auto workers. Um, so yeah. we need to find ways to automate our lives, but in ways that don't make us prisoners to technology, but actually, you know, do one of two things, either technology that will allow um, grandma or grandpa or, or Nana, which is why I call it Nana technology, um, <laughs> but to live longer at home by themselves and, you know, ways that we can put technology in their homes to help them do that. Or in senior living environments, you know, technology that will make one nurse's aid in the future as productive as three today, because we're going to be about 10 million workers short. So these are the technologies that I focus on. I call them nanotechnology. Um, I have eight categories that I track, but uh, my goal for doing that is to really kind of position the industry and, and aging populations towards um, utilizing these technologies. So technology, and I think, can often be a double-edged sword. There's so many positives can, it can do, but I love how you said, you know, we, we don't want to turn our seniors uh, and our parents into prisoners in technology. And so my guess is that means that there are some that are more popular than others. And so uh, what are the most popular nanotechnologies today? Like what, what can we, what are the ones that are really getting a hold now? And as we look to the future, what do you think are the ones on the horizon that are going to make a big difference to help make that one caregiver have the efficiency of three or four caregivers? Yeah, I mean, the ones that are out there now, we're all kind of familiar with in our own way, like Alexa, right? Google Home, mm-hmm. um, so, um, um, face, uh, Facebook portal, um, you know, some of these video portals where you can check in and say hi to mom or dad. But obviously, that's not hands-on care. I mean, that's kind of a social technology that allows us to stay in touch. Um, But what we really need are technologies that can passively monitor or help mom with the things that, you know, the adult children, the the daughter, the daughter-in-law, the son, the son-in-law, the caregiver, um, um, home health aid, things that they can't get to them to do. So, you know, um, automating um, medication management. Medication errors are actually the number one reason uh, people over 65 are hospitalized in this country. A lot of people don't know that. The number one cause of hospitalizations that, that's over 65 is, is frankly messing up their meds. Um, and, um, but we have, you know, these kind of automated robotic medication systems now that are connect to a cellular network that you can fill up that, you know, the pharmacist can fill up a month's worth that, and a designated program time will beep or flash and remind mom to, to take her pills. Um, if she doesn't take them while it's flashing, then it'll start beeping. If she doesn't take them within 15, 20 minutes of that, it'll actually send a text message um, to, you know, authorize users, an adult child to let them know for some reason mom hasn't taken her pills. So, you know, we can automate that where you don't have to drive over and fill up this pill box or constantly call her three, four times a day to remind her yep. and receive alerts if she doesn't take them. We need fall detection technologies, falls are the number one cause of death due to injury in people over 65. So we need better technologies that can monitor for falls, Um, not only monitor for when a fall happens, um, but begin to predict when a fall might happen even before it happens. And there are technologies out there, sensor-based, 
that can start monitoring your rhythms and your patterns and get a feel for who you are and actually begin to detect and fairly accurately predict if you're at a fall risk. Or again, if you have fallen um, and you're unconscious or you can't push a button or you don't have a button or you're too panicked to push a button, it'll automatically alert designated people of a fall and track that. So these are the kinds of things I think that can be helpful at home. Quite frankly, they can be helpful in senior living, assisted living communities where we don't have enough medication managers. We you know, need to make sure that we can monitor as well as predict falls. So those are pretty important technologies today. Um, and then there's some even cooler stuff coming down the pike in the future. The uh, I've heard you speak on something about like GPS soul, like you can have uh, a GPS tracker in the sole of a shoe for someone with Alzheimer's or dementia. That yep. that makes a huge difference in keeping them safe, doesn't it? Yeah, and I mean full disclosure, I helped invent that one. It's the one I actually did help invent. Um, but it's like a Dr. Scholl's insole that goes in your shoe and has miniaturized GPS tracking. You know, sixty percent of people with Alzheimer's related dementia will wander and become lost at least once during the progression of the disease. And of the ones that do that, 70% of them will wander and become lost three or more times. Once you become a wanderer, you're kind of a wanderer. Yeah. And it's a huge issue. I mean, we have police departments in this country who are frankly worried about doing nothing all day, but spending their time trying to track down lost seniors. Yeah, um, we have silver um, alerts. I mean, we have a silver, silver alert system. Yeah, but we can put a GPS in the in the insole. First of all, in the earlier stages, it's a dignity issue. People don't want to be seen wearing a tracker. Yep. So this is a nice way to just quietly put it in their shoes and let them go for a walk, by the way, in the early stages. Walking's good for you. We just want to make sure they don't make a wrong turn. In yep. the later stages, paranoia is a major issue. So you don't want to put anything on them that's visible anyway. So this insole, it's called the GPS Smart Soul, by the way. Anybody listening can just Google GPS Smart Soul. Um, it's in 33 countries uh, and it works. Um, you can, if, if your mom or dad, you set up a, what's called a geo zone with your mouse, drag and click on a screen, um, say a mile or two miles in any direction around the house. And if for some reason they go for a walk and break that or get in the car and go the wrong way, you'll receive a, a, a text uh, with a Google link, Google Earth link that'll let you know literally within three feet anywhere on the planet, there's GPS. So these are really important technologies. You don't need to call the police. You don't need to, you know, uh, involve law enforcement or anything else. We can put these technologies in people's shoes and keep them safe and have them return safely home by their own family member. So Andy, you've got me thinking as we were given, as you were talking about the GPS smart soul, I was thinking about the medication errors being the number one reason. And when you're uh, for hospitalizations for seniors and I'm, I'm thinking about it and I, when we're looking for efficiencies, you're always looking for that, you know, there's always a system, there's always a process and you're looking where, where that process gets screwed up. And so you have seniors who obviously they get their meds, they get them to their home and then they don't, they fail to take them or they take the wrong amount or what have you. And so they have these fancy uh, technology systems where you can put the pills in there. And then what happens is like you were describing, it reminds them, it has the alerts and it, the constant reminders. But that still requires that those little electronic dispensers get filled. Has anyone ever contemplated like working with the actual pharmacies where it came in like a preloaded cartridge or like, you know, kind of like your propane tank. You took your old one it, where you could get your meds yes. preloaded. Yes. Uh, MedMinder is one. Again, there are a lot of these out there. I don't want to particularly advocate for any particular one, but MedMinder, right. uh, M-E-D-M-I-N-D-R is, is one that actually does 
basically what we're talking about. It's a tray with a month's worth of, of little, um, you know, cartridges in it, um, 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 compartments in it, and the family can fill them. The the elder person can fill them, but you can take them to the pharmacy and they'll just fill them. Oh, no kidding. Oh, how for the whole month. And, yeah. and the pharmacy will load it up. And again, once it's in there and it's programmed, um, it does the same thing. You know, it starts flashing on the little Monday compartment starts blinking on Monday at the right time. The, the morning dose will start blinking, flashing lights. Um, if Evelyn doesn't notice it, then in about 15 minutes, it'll start beeping. Um, and then if she really doesn't notice it, it'll start texting um, family members, caregivers, whoever, and letting them know that she hasn't taken her pills. And it also keeps reports. Um, it then automatically records, and you can go online to an online portal, and you can check and see, um, you know, how often mom is, you know, she's got a little green check mark that she took her dose at the right time, how many times she missed it, um, you know, how late she was. Um, and you get a very nice report that you can then share with the pharmacist, with the doctor, um, and maybe they make some adjustments. Boy, that's incredible. So that's where, that's the uh, the nanotechnology. So let's talk about senior housing. We're, we're running out of caregivers, and I know we have to be more efficient. We have this limited amount of caregivers as far as a resource, and we have this booming population, quite literally the baby boomers who are turning 65 at that rapid rate of 10,000 a day. And so the question is, what's the future of senior housing? How are we going to manage all this? Well, it's pretty exciting because as we've learned, as the baby boomers have aged, uh, and I'm a baby boomer, um, but I mean, the baby boomers have basically blown up the portfolio of choices for any product they've ever bought, right? I mean, they're the reasons that for some reason there's you know, a hundred different brands of blue jeans. I don't even know what the difference is. Um, <laughs> but, but we like choices, you know, when you've got 76 million people, we want choices. So what we do know is, and we're seeing this in senior living, you know, we don't want generic little sleepy retirement communities out in the middle of nowhere where, you know, at a certain age you go live there. I call them elderly islands. Um, we're, the, the next generation is really looking for interesting places to live and things that match their interests, you know, so housing for different cultures. You know, there's a very famous um, assisted living community just out of San Francisco that's just for Asian Americans where they, you know, they have, uh, you know, uh, wok cooking and, and, and sushi and, and um, feng shui architecture and um, all the staff speak Mandarin or Cantonese, uh, Japanese, Korean. Um, but, you know, their culture is very definitive. They don't like the number four. They don't like the color blue. You know, these things don't appear in that community. So, you know, you can look at populations and different cultures or different interests and really build to what they where they want to live, um, different orientations. We're seeing LGBTQ plus communities now in almost every metropolitan area, and there's going to be even more because, you know, this is the first generation that was able to come out of the closet, um, and they're frankly terrified that when they need senior living, they'll have to go back into the closet, and they shouldn't have to make that choice. We're looking at a lot of retirement communities being built in partnership with universities. I actually developed a model for that called university-based retirement communities. I've worked with dozens of universities on these. There's probably almost 100 of them now around the country. And I'm, you know, I'm talking major schools, Stanford, Duke, Notre Dame, um, um, Michigan, um, you know, University of Alabama, University of Florida. These are major universities that are adding retirement communities on or near their campuses. Arizona State has a spectacular one. Well, that, that seems amazing because when you, you know when you when you think of seniors you think about 
all the the life experience they have and, and all the wisdom they have. And when you put them at an a, you know an education center and where they can volunteer and how they can interact in that, it just seems like such a natural fit. Uh, that that idea just seems incredible. And then one of my favorites, I, I just cracks me up of how tailored these gets. There there is a Jimmy Buffett themed Margaritaville uh, retirement community. Am I correct? Yeah, it's called Latitude Margaritaville, and it's <laughs> basically just an active adult community that Jimmy just put to his theme. Um, um, but you know, just by putting his name on it. They had a hundred thousand inquiries in the first three months that they even announced it. You know, a year before it even opened, which in our business, senior living business, is unheard of. It's never been done, and they've added. Um, I think they're up to three now, two in Florida. I think one at Hilton Head. Now they're moving west out to Arizona, California. Uh, but again, you know, this is just proof that when you've got seventy-six million baby boomers, there's enough people with different interests to build something that they really want, some place where they want to live with people that they, you know, have something in common with. That's right. That is right. So I guess the last question, the, the, the big question is, I mean, we hear about all this wonderful nanotechnology, the future of where we're going to live, all of these things that we can do for this I- incredible uh, generation that's really reshaping how we think about senior care and senior living. How are we going to afford it? How are the how is this generation going to pay for this and where are these seniors going to find that money? Well, look, most senior living is is private pay, independent living, active adult, <coughs> excuse me, assisted living. Um, once you get into a nursing home, nursing homes are basically step down hospital units now. Um, um, so that's a different scenario. Um, but in the senior living world, it is a retail model, but it is also, you know, run by people who do this for a living. They're not going to build something people can't afford. I mean, the basic model for senior living is is, is if you own a home and you've got any equity in that home, and if you've owned that home for 50 years, you have tremendous amount of, of, of equity and, and, and um, um, gains in value. And the basic pricing model assumes that you will sell that home and, and, and buy one of these. Now, does everyone own a home? No. Um, can everyone afford senior living? Uh, no, but it is actually more cost efficient than hiring home health by by about half. Um, so if you if you want to stay home, it's actually going to cost you a lot more to hire somebody to come in privately, which makes sense. They have to get in their car and drive to your house and spend right. half the day looking at their windshield. Yep. In assisted living, for example, that same nurse's aide could have helped 15, you know, 12, 15 people in an eight hour shift. So it's much more efficient to share the housing in assisted living, much more cost efficient. Um, again, if you've ever, if you've owned a home, um, uh, really about 75% of the, um, seniors out there actually um, do own homes or have sufficient savings to afford independent living or assisted living. But it is true and needs to be clear that about 25% of seniors, you know, really aren't in a position to do that. And then we really have to think about our public systems and expanding access to care, um, for those individuals and, and make, you know, make it more affordable. Well, that's perfect, Andy. We are running out of time. I could I could sit here and talk for another hour, another two hours with you. Um, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. The uh, we appreciate it, and we appreciate all you have done to contribute to making seniors' lives better because you have made a real difference in this industry. Well, I, I appreciate it. I enjoy what you do, and, and it's important um, work that all of us uh, on the long term care senior living side do. Perfect. 
Well, that's it, everyone, for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Takis McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability of an elderly loved one. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Tagus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness.